Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Ruthie Zell. A widespread shortage of veterinarians is affecting animal care in both urban and rural areas of Missouri. It has implications for pet owners in our region and those who interact with and care for all sorts of animals. And it's putting pressure on the veterinarians that are working in the field. Joining me in studio to talk about it are Christine Nagel, Dr. Christine Nagel, President of the Greater St. Louis Veterinary Medical Association, and Dr. Abby Whiting, who currently works overnights and provides emergency and critical care through veterinary specialty services. Also joining us by phone is Dr. Carolyn Henry, Dean of the College of Veterinary Medicine at the University of Missouri-Columbia. Christine, Abby, Carolyn, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you. And I especially appreciate Christine and Abby. I know that first you work overnight, so I really appreciate appreciate you being here. You had surgery, emergency surgery you had to deal with, and yet we're all here. Thank you so much. Um, dealing with the veterinary shortage, the first I had heard of it was like about a week ago. There's a 24-hour uh, clinic that I'm sure you know about in Webster Groves on Big Bend. They were 24 hours there now, like 7 in the morning to 11 at night. They had to cut their hours just because there weren't enough people. And they still have overnight care, of course, for the, for the patients. But pets could not be seen now between 11 p.m. and 7 a.m. Why? Yeah, well, for the first time, I think, in sort of the suburbs in the city of St. Louis, we're starting to feel the pressure that the veterinary industry has been experiencing recently. There's just not enough veterinarians to meet the demands right now. And uh, the closing of the overnight hours for emergencies at Webster Groves is one of the symptoms of that. We just don't have enough qualified veterinarians right now to staff all the open positions. Yeah. Um, Christine, how did this all get started? I mean, how long has this gone back? I, I take it this isn't something that just happened overnight. It's not an overnight thing, but it is pretty recent. Um, I remember when Dr. White and I graduated, um, when we went out looking for jobs, you were lucky to maybe get one or two interviews, maybe lucky to get one working interview. And now, and, and Dr. Henry probably has a better understanding of this, um, but now it's more like four or five offers versus just the interview phase, just because even, what was that, seven, eight years ago, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't there, at least in small animal medicine. Uh, Dr. Henry, let's bring you into the discussion. Um, Mizzou's Veterinary College, I understand you're like one of 30 in the U.S., is, do we need more? You know, that's an interesting question um, because we increased our class size several years ago um, and bumped it up to 120 students per year. And in fact, at that time, um, there were many people that were concerned about that. And, you know, we, we heard that we were going to be putting out too many veterinarians. And so we, we did meet some opposition then to the idea of increasing the number of our graduates. Uh, I don't think anybody would make that argument today, although there have been a number of new veterinary colleges that have um, opened up in the in the recent past that are what we would call a distributive model. So the students will do two years at that institution, and then they will go to different um, veterinary colleges that have clinical programs to get their clinical experience, or they'll go out in private practice for their clinical experience. So there's a lot of different models looking at this. Um, and, and trying to determine, you know, what the cause of it is and, and how we can address it most quickly. 
and and this is the shortage. It's not just affecting urban areas and suburban areas. It, it's the rural areas. And I would imagine the challenges are a little different because the practices are so much different. Yeah, I mean, there, there are financial considerations to be sure. It's uh, difficult to uh, be in a practice where, for instance, you're traveling from farm to farm um, and really meet the financial demands that, that you're going to have coming out of vet school with debt, which, you know, most of our students do have some debt when they graduate, and for some of them it's very significant. So there are financial pressures, um, and there are just a lot more opportunities for veterinarians now. I, I was contacted a couple of weeks ago about this same question. And um, the person that was interviewing me said, well, why doesn't anyone want to go into veterinary medicine anymore? And I said, well, we had about 1,200 applicants for 120 positions, so it's not a lack of desire to want to go into veterinary medicine. Yeah, and, and when you look at the finances, again, as you say, if you just look at the overhead, I mean, you can be an MD and work out of a hospital. You don't necessarily have to have your own practice. If you're a veterinarian, you're probably going to purchase your own x-ray equipment, I mean, everything. And so I, I don't even know, how much would it cost if you wanted to build a practice from scratch these days? What kind of money are we talking about? For probably the St. Louis area to, to buy a, a practice, you're looking, um, especially more in the suburbs, potentially one to two million from ground up. Uh-huh. So that includes your building, your overhead, because it's not something where you know, you're a lawyer and you can just work out of your briefcase. So you have to have the equipment before you can have the clients. Um, and, and that price is growing, which is also tough when you have student debt on top of, you know, life debt, buying a home, having a family. And a lot of the students can't simply afford it because the banks aren't giving necessarily full loans anymore. So you have to find other means to make up for um the rest of the loan, whether it's a personal loan or it's a, a loan from the previous owner or it's a buy-in percentage over the years. Um, but that's also a, a big thing that's changing, too. Okay. Uh, Daniel, one of our listeners in Webster Groves, has just sent us an email, and here's what he writes. I have two animal-loving daughters, ages 8 and 11, who have both expressed substantial interest in becoming veterinarians. One wants to work at an animal hospital on house pets. The other wants to work at a zoo. What can I do to foster their ambitions? Specifically, are there any resources, programs, camps, etc., that might give them more exposure? That's a good question. That is a good question. So I think what's really important with his age daughters is to encourage and to foster a love of science and learning because that's going to be critical for them. Um, the St. Louis Zoo has wonderful camp programs. So does the St. Louis Science Center. They have really great immersive and animal contact programs that they can get involved in. As they get a little bit older, they could find different volunteer opportunities with the Humane Society or other rescue groups that would give them a little animal contact time, as well as see the, a different side of veterinary medicine before they commit. Yes, well, Daniel, thanks for that email, and I'd like to invite our listeners into the conversation. If you have a question or a comment for our guests, give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK, or you can send us a tweet at STL on air, or email us at talk at stlpublicradio.org. I, I am amazed by the number of women who have entered the profession. When, when my dad graduated from uh, Michigan State Veterinary College, there were, I, I'm going to say the class was about 35 people. One African-American, one woman. 
Uh, and when I was a teenager, he predicted, he said, women are going to take over this profession and they're going to be really great at it. So how, I'm, I'm curious, what was your inspiration, all of you, uh, your respective inspirations for becoming veterinarians? Mm -hmm. So for me, it was it was always something that I wanted to do. Um, from first memories, it was always I want to be a veterinarian, and that was that was it. Um, you know, science was was definitely a major part of my life, and and doing a lot of other things that weren't necessarily medicine related. You know, doing egg drop and you know science fairs and things like that. Um, so that kind of added a lot to it. Um, when I was in undergraduate school, a lot of uh, my advisors recommended me not going to vet school and said you should become a medical doctor which were a veterinary medical doctor but in their eyes that wasn't good enough um and they they kind of recommended i shadow some medical doctors some podiatrists basically anything but veterinary medicine and the the people that i i shadowed as veterinarians and the people i shadowed as medical doctors it just with my personality i just fit better with veterinary medicine. I liked not only the science behind it, I liked interacting with clients, having that relationship, building that relationship from puppyhood all the way up to, you know, end of life care. And it's it's something pretty magical that you don't get to do really with many other careers. Um, plus being able to, to, you know, have all the investigatory tools that you would have with any other type of science background. Mm -hmm. How about you, Abby? So I'm kind of a veterinary medicine junkie. I, <laughs> I live for, for veterinary medicine. It's my calling, and I adore it. Um, it gives me an opportunity to help people, and that's really what I wanted to get into. I get to help people with their animal problems, and I get to advocate for pets who can't speak for themselves. And I think honoring the human-animal bond and what animals bring to our life in that way is, is really special and unique, and it's fantastic. Dr. Henry, Dean Henry, I... I'm so impressed with your background, and oncology is your specialty, I understand. And it, the rates of animal cancer seem to be skyrocketing, so I think you've picked the right calling in dealing with that. Have you, have you discovered that's the case? Yeah, you know, I think it's a combination of um, we've got better tools to diagnose it now, and people are pursuing those tools. So. You know, I, I can remember in my childhood having a, a dog that I, you know, looking back on it, know he had cancer, um, but it wasn't anything that we ever took him to a specialist to address. So it just wasn't done then. Um, so I, I think, you know, we are seeing more people pursuing the diagnosis. And we, at least for dogs, we see about one in four dogs are going to get cancer in their lifetime. Um, we see cancer a little bit less in cats, but certainly the rates that we see it in our in our dog patients are actually in excess of what we see in human oncology. All right. Well, we need to take a break right now. We're going to be back in a moment, though, to continue this conversation about the veterinary shortage and the challenges facing all veterinarians. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Now back to our conversation with Mizzou Dean, Carolyn Henry, and local veterinarians, Christine Nagel and Abby Whiting. Um, Dean Henry, I've got um, a question here. Uh, it's from a woman from Crevecore. She couldn't stay on the line, but she was wondering about the financial aid aspect of veterinary school. And is there a need for more scholarship and financial aid resources 
in veterinary medical school. Yeah, absolutely there is. Um, you know, we are getting ready on, on uh, Friday to graduate 109 veterinarians. Um, most of them will have financial debt coming out of school. Um, we have really one big scholarship fundraiser that we do for the college, and that's called the Gentle Doctor Benefit. Um, so most of our scholarship funds come in um, during that period of time, and then we have others that have been sent up through um, our advancement group. We also have loan repayment programs that we um, we try to push with the legislation to try to um, not only encourage the students to be able to have a way to pay off their loans, but encourage them to stay in Missouri. So um, some of those are dependent on where that uh, student's going to practice when they get out and what kind of practice they're going to do. So we recognize this as a, a big issue. We've got a, a new financial aid officer um, just for our college, and um, you know we try to do financial aid counseling with our students from, I would say, even before day one. But there is always a need for scholarship help for these guys. Okay, we have a caller now, Wendy from Creve Core. Good afternoon, Wendy. You're on St. Louis on the Air. Hi there. I just wanted to um, comment to a previous caller that was talking about his kids and um, regarding opportunities for kids to work with animals. Um, there's a camp that my kids have gone to for years, Cub Creek Science and Animal Camp in Rolla, Missouri, that has it's a veterinary and science camp and they get to sit in on surgeries and talk to vets and take classes and dissections and watch animal births and then also care for a multitude of different types of animals the whole time they're there that's great and also i wanted to mention fostering is a great way we do it um, for Dent County Animal Shelter, um, and we get to, you know, take care of the dogs, and it's a great family project. Well, that's wonderful. Thanks so much for that information, Wendy. We appreciate that. I would also add that we do an open house each year at the college, um, which is a really fun day. It's usually in April on a Saturday, um, and we have all kinds of activities. The, the family can get into the hospital and get tours and kind of get a behind-the-scenes look at what veterinary medicine is all about. So if you haven't come to that, I would recommend it. And again, it's, uh, we just had it in April. We'll have it again next April as well. Okay. Thank you very much. Um, I want to continue now. It's time for us to talk about uh, misconceptions. And we were, and, 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 <laughs> and Christine, when you were talking about it, it, people actually trying to discourage you, from going into veterinary medicine. Um, a few years ago, I was doing a story for Nine Network. Um, I was on my way with a videographer to visit um, a veterinarian who is, uh, she specializes in hospice care. So we're on the way there and I'm explaining the story to him and I call her by her name, Christine, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, Dr. Woodruff. And uh, he snaps at me, he said, She's not a real doctor. Mm -hmm. That did not sit well with me <laughs> at all. Yeah. So my question to all of you, but I would like to start with you, Dean Henry. Um, I don't think people understand how academically rigorous it is to get into this field. And frankly, I, I, I doubt that there's a whole lot of difference between the curriculum that a veterinary medical student would go through and a student who was, a, was in school to be an MD. 
Yeah, and you know, our inside joke is that that we're uh, we're doctors that aren't limited to practicing on one species. Uh, so, yeah. you know, if you think about the enormity of the uh, the curriculum, and then you multiply that by all the different species you need to be able to work on, um, it, it is a big task. And I. You know, I, I think if you go into veterinary medicine, you kind of go into it knowing that that, that false um, sense of importance is out there. Um, but I would also say that that's part of why people, I think, really like and trust veterinarians. We tend to be um, relatively humble, we're <laughs> and we're in it because we love what we do, not because we went in it, into it to, uh, to make a lot of money. So um, you got to take the bad with the good. Any idea how many species of animals we're talking about? No? no it's probably I know, I know. endless. It yeah. probably you know? is endless. And I think that's, think that's a it. misconception that I experience on a day-to-day basis is, you know, dogs are not small humans. They don't have the same biology. And, so, and, and cats certainly don't have the same biology as dogs. And horses are nothing like cats or dogs. Elephants, mm. closer to horses, but still very, very different. And I think a lot of times people don't understand the different uh, anatomy and physiology that we're required to have a basic understanding for. Yeah. And, of course, veterinarians perform surgery. You can't perform surgery on anything or anyone without being a doctor first. So. Well, and if you just look at the numbers, you know, as I said, we had about 1,200 applicants for 120 positions. So those are your odds of being able to get into vet school, and that tells you right there how competitive it is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's talk about, in the broadness of what you do, let's expand on that a little bit, because you're really, in a lot of ways, you are public health experts, because there's so much that a veterinarian will see first. Um, a problem with a pet that could actually end up causing problems for humans. Mm-hmm. And anyone, and any of you can address <laughs> that. I'm sorry. I mean, I think I'll address people, it. I mean, that's actually one of my favorite topics yeah, is, right. um, you know, what we call One Health, and that's where human and animal health intersect. And, you know, in terms of public health uh, disease outbreaks, uh, diseases that can go back and forth between humans and animals, I mean, that that's a a major focus going forward for global health. About 70% of the diseases that we see can cross between people and animals. Um, And so I think it takes an understanding of the strengths that both professions bring to the equation, as well as working with public health officials, nurses, um, other folks in the the field that can help get these, these diseases under control. And it affects, it can affect the food supply. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And, you know, I think veterinarians are first and foremost on on that um, line between an epidemic and something that's under control. So uh, one of my interests as an educator is to make sure that we're getting enough veterinarians out there that will go into those types of professions or those types of jobs within the profession so that we can um, have a secure food supply. In terms of, and, and any of you can answer this question, um, there are a lot of Native peoples in underdeveloped countries that really depend on animals just can't survive without them. Um, tell me the challenges that they face when, when they don't, when veterinarians don't necessarily have the means, uh, the equipment to be able to provide the kind of services that third world countries need. 
Yeah, so I think that kind of hits the heart of even what Dr. Henry was talking about, the overall economic undertones that veterinarians have the capability to provide. You know, our population on this planet is growing every year, and with every year we have to figure out how to feed this population with less and less, you know, square footage for agriculture. So a lot of underdeveloped countries need assistance in feeding their population. They need the economic boost that veterinary medicine can offer for them if we can make stronger crops or stronger livestock, help farmers be successful, more of their children survive and do well. Uh, not only does that is that good for humanity, but for you know security of our country. For a short time, the chief medical officer on the ground in Afghanistan was a veterinarian. And he was charged with helping increase stability amongst local townspeople. And what he did was he helped them with their agriculture. He helped them feed their families. And in doing so, he provided stability to a really rough area where the Taliban was attempting to recruit people because they were offering money. If you don't need the Taliban anymore because you can feed your family and you can sell your products at market, that's life-changing for those people. And it protects us here at home. Talk about a widespread reach. That's amazing. Um, we have a call. Tony is calling from Wildwood. Hello, Tony. You're on St. Louis on the air. Good day. Uh, yes, uh, good subject. Uh, so I was going to ask if there's a shortage of veterinarians for large animals and farms and rural situations. Thank you. Yes, yes, there is. <laughs> we also... Uh, I think we've got, okay, we've got an email from Carrie. Um, she says, Cub Creek Science Camp is a summer camp with a STEM focus and even has options on vet classes and participating in a surgery. They are located in the St. Louis region as well. I wasn't familiar with that. Are you familiar with that science camp? And we also have a call from Andrew from Fenton. Hello, Andrew. An earlier caller was asking about uh, how to foster the interest and encourage the interest in veterinary medicine in their children. Mm -hmm. um, the Boy Scouts of America, it used to be called Explorers, but now it, it, it's, I believe, called Venturing. I was involved with them. At one point, I worked at the uh, Anheuser-Busch Clydesdales and got involved with an Explorer post. I think there's two in the St. Louis area that are kind of specialized in uh, veterinary medicine. And uh, if the children are of venturing scout age, because uh, that is co-ed, uh, that would be a, a source in which they'd work with veterinarians and get some actual opportunities to see veterinary medicine in action. Okay, I think we're starting to lose your signal, Andrew, but I do appreciate your call. Thank you so much. In doing research for today's show, I, I need to ask you something about veterinary suicide. Mm -hmm. I understand that the, the strain of the practice has, and, this, and I just found out about this this morning. Mm -hmm. um, so what, what is that situation there? Is the stress that bad or the challenges... Uh, the challenges can be that bad. I actually am a board member at large uh, for a national nonprofit called Not One More Vet, 
and it strives to prevent veterinary suicide and support the profession and development of, of coping and, and life skills to, to have veterinarians thrive instead of just survive. And right now, on average, veterinarians are six times more likely to take their own life than any of the other medical professions. And that is something that should concern all of us. Um, those of us who are in the profession, but then also also those of us who dream of the profession. We certainly can do a little bit better job of understanding the challenges that this profession presents and the opportunities as well. Great opportunities, certainly, certainly. What yeah, can that's, the that's an issue that, I'm sorry. No, no, please go ahead, Dean. That's an issue that we take very seriously in our, our veterinary education. Um, we added a full-time counselor on our staff a few years ago, and that's that's been a, a huge asset that we have here for our students. But, um, you know, I, I think the time demands, the financial demands, um, the life and death decisions that veterinarians are, all, are often making for pets who can't necessarily speak for themselves, um, there's, a, there's a lot of aspects to mental health and wellness that need to be considered, and we're really trying to start early and in instilling those in our, our veterinary students so they have those skills when they get out and practice. Is there anything the public can do to provide support? I think the biggest thing that people, and this goes for, for a lot of professions, um, cyberbullying is a, is a major problem. Um, and, you know, we're, we're looking as a team to, to help the pets. You know, we're part of their team. We're there to help their pet get better, help them um, understand what's going on with their pet, just educate them in general. Um, but some things do happen, and whether that's, you know, in our control or not. But um, a lot of what can happen when you get on Facebook or on Google or on Yelp, um, a lot of that is raw emotion that comes out instead of um, really thinking about what happened and what the situation was. Um, you know, and this this happens all across the country. Um, it's happened in St. Louis where incidences have happened where... Um, so basically not, you have upset patients mm -hmm, yes. mm -hmm. talking trash about a veterinarian. Yeah, and, and sometimes it's an emotional, um, you know, it's an emotional ploy, and, and what they write is very passionate. And if you don't know the difference, if you don't know any better, you would definitely join on the bandwagon, and that's what happens. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, people have blocked clinics, pe blocked people from getting into clinics. We've had, you know, veterinarians had to have police escorts into and out of their clinic for their own safety. There's threats, you know, physical violence, and... And it can be quite challenging when what you do, you do because you love it, not because, you know, you're, you're making a huge living. You do it because you're passionate about it. And that can be very hard, especially veterinarians tend to be type A personalities. We're passionate people. We're, we're uh, perfectionists, if you will. We strive to push ourselves very hard. And those challenges, I think, I wasn't adequately prepared for. You know, my education, I was prepared to practice medicine, but I wasn't nececessarily prepared to deal with some of, you know, this day and age is social media pressures and things, and that has affected some of our colleagues, I know. Yeah. We've only begun to talk about the issues I want to bring up, and, and we're running out of time. I'm so sorry. We're, I'm going to have to have you all back at some point. I want to thank you so much for joining us. Christine Nagel, president of the Greater St. Louis Veterinary Medical Association, Abby Whiting with Veterinary Specialty Services, and Mizzou's Dean of the College of Veterinary Medicine, Carolyn Henry, thank you all so much for all you do for animals and humans. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.